In this podcast, we're joined by Portland Timbers T2 head coach Cameron Knowles. Not only is Cam a top young coach on the rise in the US, but he's a close personal friend. It was fantastic to interview him and share some of his insights from his 18 years in the USA as both a professional player and now coach. We pick up the conversation discussing the terrible leg break that eventually ended Cam's career as a player and his transition into coaching, plus some of the challenges that went with it. We dive into a range of topics including player identity, the 2015 MLS Timbers championship victory, player integration and the importance of being able to adapt as a coach. We hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget, head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com and check out the masterclass discussion section for the full interview and many more with top coaches from around the world. And, and you mentioned earlier the, the injury that curtailed your career, obviously a significant leg break, which happened in a game for the Timbers. It sort of ended your career pre-30 and it left you in a position where there were decisions on the table in terms of where you would go next. What was it about coaching that attracted you to the industry and, and sort of ended up with you being involved in the Timbers again? Yeah. Um, I mean, coaching something that I'd always been involved in. Um, you know, you'll remember Billy Harris in New Zealand, but he was a guy that got me involved in it, you know, when I was in high school and coaching kids and doing camps with him. And I was involved with the youth club that we had, you know, at the school and coaching the first 11. And, and you know, it's when I came to the States and I was in college, I was doing the summer camp system there. When I came to Salt Lake and Portland, I was involved in coaching in both of those communities. So I'd always been, you know, coaching at some level and really enjoyed it, you know, really enjoyed that process of seeing young players develop and seeing them, you know, learn a new skill or be able to solve a problem. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to getting injured. Um, the injury happened. I, I never thought I'd be out of the game for as long as I was, mm. um, but it was, you know, complication after complication, surgery after surgery. And before you know it, two years had gone by. And so during that time, I, I decided to go through the qualification process of, you know, getting my coaching licenses. So by the time I went back to playing, you know, I'd got my B license here in the States and went back and played with Montreal, you know, fortunate they gave me an opportunity, you know, after the Portland Timbers had allowed me to train and do my rehab with them. Mm. Um, and, and so I'd always been connected with the club throughout the whole process. And then I finished the season with Montreal. They were going into MLS the following season. Um, they made the decision not to sign me for the MLS team. And I went home to New Zealand. I thought, you know, what do I want to do? Yeah. And it was an interesting period because, you know, for that seven years or whatever it had been, my life had been defined by, you know, you being the soccer player. And so I came back and I had arranged meetings with a number of uh, people that, you know, I respected their opinion in terms of what's next. How do you even go about it? How do, how do you as a, you know, former professional athlete now transition into the work world, whatever that looks like, whether it's in soccer or business? Um, you know, so I was going to meet with an executive from uh, Adidas. I was going to meet with, I met with the general manager at the Timbers. I met with uh, the, he was the chief business officer at the time. Uh, Mike Golub, who's still with the club, is the president of uh, business operations. And, you know, they had some really good advice. And I just kind of fell the, into a good situation, um, mm. more through luck and timing than anything else. Um, there was a vacancy on the staff that they needed to fill really quickly. Someone that they were 
wanting to hire fell through at the last minute and it was sort of a try it out and we'll see how it go you know they were in preseason they need an extra body on the field and um they brought me in and said we'll see how it goes and, and hopefully we can keep you on full time mm-hmm. um so it was an incredible opportunity you know i always thought i wanted to coach in some capacity after i finished playing but i never imagined it would have been you know jumping straight into being an assistant coach on an mls staff at, at that time you know i think i was when i was given the job i was 29 mm. years old turning 30 so you know yeah certainly a sliding doors moment and you you touched on the idea there of the injury and sort of that identity where you've you've tied your identity as a young footballer and as a knowing you through high school obviously a successful athlete across a variety of codes before you really focused on your football how much of that, I mean, for, for coaches who are working in the youth space, I think sometimes we neglect this, that kids can align their identity or players can align their identity with the sport they play. How much of a, a sort of game-changing moment in your life and your journey from player to coach was that in realizing how much of your identity was tied to being a football player? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot because it's all you're focused on for as long as you can remember. Um, and I think it's really an underserved um it's an underserved field of trying to help former footballers especially here in the states because this is all relatively new you know we haven't had a thriving professional league for a long time we haven't had a thriving second division for a long time um you know this doesn't go back decades and hundreds of years and whatnot it's it's new and so these players that are coming through the system that are finding themselves on the on the back end of a career, not knowing where to go. It's a really challenging time and a really difficult time. Now, I'm fortunate that I was able to get myself in a situation where I'm still around the game. Yeah. You know, I my life is, is fairly similar in the sense that I'm around the club, I'm in a locker room, I'm, I get to enjoy all those things that you associate with being a footballer um, without having to stay fit. So, <laughs> but, but I know from, you know, a, a lot of my friends and, and people that I played with, you know, how hard that struggle can be trying to find out one, what you want to do and two, what you're qualified to do and what someone will give you a chance to do because you, you play for 10 years, you've not made enough money to, to set yourself up, you know, we're just sort of all grinding it out for the yeah. love of the game type thing. And you get to the end of that and, and now you've got a prospective employer looking at you saying, okay, you've done that for 10 years. Great. But what are your transferable skills to, you know, this industry. And I think that can be really challenging and really daunting for, for a lot of players. Yeah. And I think this is something coaches have to keep in mind when working with young players is it's more than the technical skills or the tactical understanding. You are trying to help kids understand life. And I think there's an opportunity there for, for young players and for coaches who have those young players in their environments to really create a place where, you know, there are life skills being taught beyond football. Yeah, I think it's critical. I mean, if you look at it realistically of, of youth players, the ones that are even going to get to having a professional career, not many. You know, the odds are stacked against that. So I think when working with young players and, and as a coach of young players, you, you've got to be invested in more than just a football. Yeah. That becomes, you know, the icing on, on top of the cake. That if, if that happens, great. But know that they can leave and be in a better place. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what. You mentioned you've been part of the Timbers organization for a long time um, as a player and a coach. Can you share some insights around the club's philosophy, both in terms of playing and coaching, and some of the some of the common threads that are emerging through the organization as it, it grows and, and gets more established in MLS? Yeah, it's um, 
It's, it's been good to be involved with the club, especially seeing it go from being a USL club to then stepping into Major League Soccer and then dealing with the increased demands that, that come with that, whether that's building out the infrastructure of a football club, um, scouting network, coaches, academy system, reserve team, you know, all things that didn't exist when I was first here uh, 11 years ago. Um, and I think, you know, the club the owner, the general manager have done a really good job of, of making the club sort of a reflection of, of the community um, in terms of we are and always have been one of the, you know, most well-supported clubs in in North America, uh, well, in the United States. Um, and, and particularly in the Northwest, you know, there seems to be quite a, a an appetite for soccer. And Portland's always had a good following. You know, we would get as a lower division team, you know, average eight, 9,000 people at a game get 16,000, which was near enough capacity for us. Now they've renovated the stadium and, and, you know, they've sold out every MLS game that they've ever had. And I think when we look at the club and how that ties in to philosophy and whatnot, it's, it's important first and foremost that we honor the history of the club um, because we're one of the few clubs here in the States that actually has a history that dates back to the NASL era of 1975. Um, and also honors then the community because our supporters are, are critical in, in terms of what they give back to the community. And part of our philosophy holistically as a club is we don't want players to just come in here, you know, and, and play. We want players that are going to be invested in the community and want to be here for a long time. And I think if you look at some of our best players, mm. they have been with the club for a long time. And the club has done a good job of, of investing in not just players, but also people that, that fit that mold. And now, you know, in terms of how that translates on the field, you know, we all talk about the buzzwords of attractive football and, and whatnot. And I do think we have a responsibility to provide uh, entertainment, you know, for the supporters. And in terms of the players that have brought, been brought in to do that, I think uh, through the recruitment and, and coaching, we've been able to execute that. Uh, we've got some exciting, dynamic attacking players. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have players from all around the world. And then We've got a team that's been able to be consistently successful, which is which has been really important. Yeah, really interesting. And that, that community feel is so important around any club. And obviously, any Timbers game you see on TV or you go to live, you see that presence of the crowd. So clearly, they're very invested. You obviously spent the first part from that sort of sliding doors moment we talked about where you fell into coaching and, and sort of got this opportunity with the first team. You spent the first five years there, I believe, uh, working with Caleb Porter, working as an assistant coach, um, and during this period, the team won an MLS championship. So can you tell us a little bit about how you developed in that environment, working alongside the likes of Caleb and obviously Sean McCauley, who's a very experienced coach in that setup, and some of the lessons you learned from the championship run and a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so I, I got the opportunity to work with Caleb for five years. Um, so I'd been with the club for one season before he came. So I was on the job manager got sacked after about six months we stayed on and then Caleb came in um, and I and the interesting thing of the that five years was we had a lot of consistency with the staff and as you mentioned Sean McCauley had come over with you know a tremendous amount of experience um, from being with Sheffield Wednesday from his playing career as well he bounced around he'd seen a lot mm. um, of professional environments and you know the first year with Caleb we we had an incredible run um, and then we weren't able to back that up the second year. And so we we kind of had this real ebb and flow to the way things went. And we were going there in the year that we won the championship in 2015. 
it was we were getting towards the end of the season and, and a lot of people were counting us out mm. um you know are they going to make the playoffs was it just a flash in the pan was one good year and you know we had a lot of trust in in what we were doing and, and how everyone's roles were contributing to that um you know Caleb was very detailed in the way that he planned trainings and the way that we you know analyzed the opponent and he had a strong belief in how we were going to play and and how well we were going to do and you know that that came down to crunch time in the season and we just went on an unbelievable run towards the end of the year to get ourselves into the into the playoffs first and foremost because that was essentially where, where the bar is set here in the in the states you get into the playoffs and you have a chance to win um, and we got ourselves in and then that run you know we had probably one of the most memorable games in MLS playoff history um, you know where we had penalties go all the way to the goalkeepers at the end and Kansas City probably had you know two or three chances to win win the game on penalties and the ball hit two posts and bounces out and then our, our goalkeeper smashes in the winner <laughs> and it just felt like this this whole thing was building mm. you know this sort of belief and and the atmosphere in the locker room and that team spirit that then combined with the quality we had in the locker room in terms of you know on-field ability it all it all came together and then that little bit of luck that you need you know the bounce of a ball um it's funny to look back on because if you know video assistant referee existed mm. one of our goals in the final wouldn't have counted the ball yeah, went out right. of play the linesman missed it we cross it next thing you know it's in the back of the net mm. um so you know we had all, all those things that have to come together you know in terms of good players team chemistry and then you know that little bit of luck as well mm. um, was critical to that run and in terms of the the journey that five-year spell as an assistant um, were there any sort of key lessons that you learned in ter terms of how to be an effective assistant coach how to work as part of a part of a multidisciplinary team where you've got a couple of assistants a head coach sports science all of these kind of ingredients being thrown together what, what advice do you have for coaches and what experience can you pass on around that particular journey yeah, it's, it, it was good because we had a lot of the same people. Um, and so everyone kind of grew to understand their role. And then, you know, initially with Caleb coming in, we didn't know. We didn't know what he wanted. We didn't know how best we could support him because we didn't know how he worked. Um, you know, there were two of three of us actually that had been, that stayed with the club when Caleb came in. So it was, I would say the biggest thing is be adaptable. Um, because it could change, you know, very quickly. Um, and to, to also be open-minded because what, what we understood was what we had done before didn't work. So we had to listen and we had to say, right, okay, let's, let's try this and then figure out a way to communicate effectively when we thought something needed to change or we needed to change something into just a slightly different direction. Um, and, and when you talk about all those other components of integrating sports science throughout that process over the five years, you know, our whole staffing department grew. Mm. So we had more people coming in, we had access to more technology and it was trying to figure out who, whose skill set best suited that, what we did with player recruitment, what we did with scouting of the opposition, what we did with reflecting on our own performance and everyone just being willing to to take part and and become you know a bit of a jack of all trades really and and not really turn their nose up at, at doing anything because 
in in having a piece in all of those different parts of performance, we we all got better as assistant coaches. Mm. Now you you've been sort of promoted in a sense to the head coaching role of the T two team, which which is the second team at the club feeds into the first team. You mentioned the age range of players that you work with in terms of eighteen to twenty two, and a lot of players probably trying to fight for an MLS place and, and get pro contracts, and it can be quite transient, I'd imagine, as well in terms of the the playing roster. Can you elaborate a little bit on the role that you're now in uh, within the organisation and some of the challenges that go with that particular position? Um, so there's a number of challenges. First, you know, coming into being a head coach the first time, there's a number of things that I hadn't considered, you know, because much like a player, you know, complains about things that are going on within the club, you sit there as an assistant coach and you don't have an appreciation of, of what the head coach is going through and how many decisions they have to make. And so for me, that was very challenging to begin with, was just being in this position where I had to manage a staff and, and so many people want a piece of your time they want you to answer a question to make a decision and you know getting on board with all of that whereas before i was just you know a cog in the wheel essentially um a cog in the machine helping it turn so that that's a challenge i think another challenge is the fluidity between the first team and our team you know we look at signing probably 14 15 players to usl specific contracts and then on any given week from the first team we might have you know, no players, we might get eight players that need a game. And usually it's somewhere in that range of four to six, you know, four to seven players. So trying to balance out what that looks like and, and also then integrate uh, a game plan on match day when we've not had a lot of those players in training. So with all that, you know, all those moving parts, how do we keep enough of it consistent so that when players come in, they understand their role even though they've not really trained with us um, for maybe up until the day before the game. And then also, how do we continue to have our players that are signed to USL contracts? How do they stay motivated? How they could have an unbelievable week in training um, and look for all money like they're going to start the game. But then the night before, someone you know with the first team is coming back from injury or just needs minutes to stay sharp. Mm. They need to play instead. And so there's a lot of moving parts within that, um, you know, integrating the first team players and also managing the players that are on our roster and, and in training with us every day. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I've previously interviewed the likes of McBeal, who was the 23s manager at Liverpool, and he's now at Rangers as an assistant. Uh, the same with John D'Souza, who previously managed the 21s at Brentford and is now at Colchester United. And those guys always talked about the challenge of the first team where you might be training and the first team manager says, I need four players. And they're just, suddenly yeah. you've got to adapt. So that idea of adaptability is obviously crucial. But you've touched on integration in terms of players coming and going. I mean, in terms of the dynamics between the team, between the players, how hard is it to manage the social dynamics and to make sure that there's some camaraderie and quality integration with players being so fluid through the two squads? I think a lot of that for us got driven by the club and, and the club essentially taking responsibility for it rather than the first team just saying, right, we're the first team, you're the second team, the academy's the academy. And, you know, vertical integration is very much a buzzword, but I think the communication that we had between um, the first team staff and our staff, the mm. fact that we share a workspace, the fact that we train side by side at the same time, we share a same facility, all the players uh, eat lunch together in the same facility. There's a lot of social interaction that takes place off the training field and, and outside of the game. 
And so the players are familiar with each other in that sense. Now they sit in different locker rooms and, and whatnot, and they are on different teams. But um, for us, there, there was a lot of crossover with that. And I think once the, the first team gave a lot of value to playing with our team, mm. um, once, you know, once Gio said, you know what, you need to go and you need to prove yourself with T2 and we're going to be watching and that's going to be important, and they follow through by watching and yeah. you know giving the players feedback on those. As soon as they assign value to that, then it makes the job of of us much much easier. Yeah. Uh, and then we can you know focus on the day to day, and we can do the same with the academy, and say you know what, we're watching the academy games. We want the best players to come in and train with us. And if you've been doing well, we're going to have a line to the academy manager and the. We, you know, we would have players in with us. We would put academy players on the bench. We would play academy ga- players in games um, to supplement our roster. So, I think, you know, for for being year one of that, from my end, I think, um, you know, the club, the way the club drove that was was really successful. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.